I'm Kendra Winchester with Autumn Privet from the Reading Women podcast, where we discuss books by or about women. And I'm Jenny from the Reading Envy podcast, and I'll have what you're reading. So this is our very first like crossover other bookish podcast collab. So this is pretty cool. We're excited. I am too. So thanks for for agreeing to do this, Jenny. We're really excited to talk about all these amazing books by women. You too. Looks like a good list. And as I said before, like, I think I rewrote my list like three times today. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I'm okay with what I picked. (laughs) I know. There's been so many great reads from this year that it was really hard to pick. It has been a good reading year. It has. I don't know. There's just been a lot of different books coming out and just like one thing after another. And so I've been trying to think of some books that I hadn't talked about this year that I read in this year. And it was like, you know, I feel like I've mentioned a lot of different ones, but some of them I realized I had barely talked about at all. So this is an excellent chance to give them their due. Well, I think I have the first pick, so I guess we'll just jump into it. So my first book that I want to talk about is The Mothers by Britt Bennett, and it is published by Riverhead. But I only got around to reading it this year. And and Riverhead did this really great promotion where they were sending all these book bloggers, these beautiful scarves that went with it. And I was like, I have to have one of these. And I didn't get one. But um, (laughs) anyways, so I finally got around to reading it this year. And it is like one of the best books of the year. And I haven't really got to talk about it much. It's the story of Nadia. And she, like her mom has recently committed suicide. And she's dating the pastor's son at her church. And there's like, it, it, it kind of follows like the relationship and some different things about that, which I, I guess, I don't know. Are we doing spoilers? I don't think so. Okay. Then I won't get into too much detail, but I just thought this was a beautifully written book and it's a debut novel, which is just amazing. And um, one of the things that I thought was the most interesting about it was the mothers is like this chorus, like in a traditional kind of like Greek chorus. And I just thought it was beautifully beautifully done and I actually got to see or hear Britt Bennett talk about this book and she said it took her like eight years to write it actually yeah that's a long time man she started it in like undergrad and just kind of like rewrote it four times or something like that I'm like man that is some dedication there but I just thought it was a beautiful story and like like I said, like really well written. And since it's so short, I don't know, like I, I don't want to get into too many details cause I don't want to spoil it, but basically we just kind of follow Nadia and her relationship with, with Luke and she's kind of an outsider and he's obviously like the pastor's son. So just a lot, like a really interesting examination about like community and the way it affects us. So yeah, it's a really beautiful book. I think it's one of those that I just sat on a weekend and like read the entire thing from cover to cover. Yeah, I really like this one too. And I was really surprised that there are some really negative reviews of people who felt like it was anti-abortion, but I didn't get that sense at all. I I think some of the characters are. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it, I've seen, I agree. I've seen, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of those reviews as well and they really kind of irritate me because I think a lot of people like write a book on whether or not they agree with it or if a character does something they think that's the author's opinion and Mm -hmm. it's like it's fiction (laughs) like the characters (laughs) have their own opinions people (laughs) and uh, i know (laughs) go ahead well it's interesting too because Britt actually talked about that in the discussion that i saw with her and she said that she wanted to write a book if i remember correctly she wanted to write a book about abortion and about like about everything that comes with that like in a very realistic sort of way. Cause she said she felt like people don't really talk about it and are actually, I think she actually said like people are too critical. <laughs> so it's kind of like sad and ironic that people totally missed the point of what she was mm-hmm. trying to do. Yeah. And this is this, and also, I mean, I think we need to pause also for a second and look at like how beautiful like this cover is as well, because I don't know what it is. It's sort of abstract, but I feel like if the book were a cover, it would it would be this cover, if that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I, I don't know, for some reason, like, I love Riverhead because I feel like their designs do that with a lot of different books. And for me, when I look at a cover, I want to feel the same thing that I feel when I read the book. And I feel, I know that maybe sound kind of weird, but I felt the mothers did a great job because, like Autumn said, it has, like, the chorus and the community feel to it. And then you have Nadia's best friend. And then you have, you know, Luke and um, just the complicated community of the, you know, it's, I think it's, is it Upper Room? Is that what it's called? the church i think so yeah i think so yeah the community within the church and i just um everything was about it was just beautiful i loved it yeah and it also had its own ice cream flavor which of course is an important thing to note (laughs) that's a very important thing Uh, i love when they do that great job marketing riverhead was that in the special packets too special flavor of ice cream well that would have been awesome (laughs) no I saw a marketing box for, I think it was from Tor. It was like a Tor YA box and they were sending it to booktubers and it had like candy in it and it had like, it required like it has to be stored in a cool place like on the box and they pulled it out and it was like all this amazing like themed candy to go with the books. It was really cool. So they should do that with ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One other thing I did want to say about this book is like the topic of choice and the choices that we make. Um, is the theme that I feel like runs through this book about like whether or not Nadia and Luke made the right decisions for a lot of different reasons. And there's lots of different decisions, but I feel like choice is something that's an interesting topic for a novel. Cause I feel like, I feel like for me, at least I think of characters as being these things that are set in motion and kind of like, I don't know, like exist and are self propelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like this book was like really self-reflective in that sense. And was very, I don't know if self-aware is the right word, but I was just looking when I was preparing for this at the, I actually got my copy through um, book of the month. And that's something that the book of the month recommender or judge, I guess is their official type um, undo some things. Would you, which is a really interesting question, especially in relation to this book. Mm-hmm. And I think she lets them see consequences of their actions in a way that you don't see in a lot of different books because they made those choices, right? It's not just the author making them for them. I think that's, yeah, I was feeling that too, I think. Yeah, her character development is just is just stellar. And the way that she uses the different characters and how they interact with each other and how, you know, the people who you think should be, you know, have the most reason and and outstanding citizen. I'm trying not to give away spoilers. Uh, the people that you would think <laughs> would be the ones that the character, the younger characters like Nadia and Luke could rely on are not the characters that they can. And then what society mm-hmm. normally thinks is characters that you couldn't rely on are the ones that really help. And I also really appreciated like the dynamic between, uh, between Nadia and her best friend. What is their best friend's name? I don't have it. But anyway, I, I thought that was just really good because I just, I guess as I'm getting older, I really appreciate stories about female friendship and the, the dynamics between that. So, absolutely. So yeah, so I guess like in summary, like this is a book that got a lot of press last year, but it, I think it's still worth talking about and bringing up because I really think it's it's a really really good perspective, beautifully written, original kind of storyline. So yeah, highly recommend the mothers. So I guess, Jenny, what is, what is your first pick? My first pick is Black Wave by Michelle T. And it comes from Feminist Press. I think it first came out at the end of December 2015. Um, but I believe I knew about it because it was on the long list for the tournament of books. I don't think it even got picked to go into the short list. But I always find some great reads on there that I've never heard of otherwise. And I wasn't going to read this one originally. Uh, I didn't think I'd have anything in common with it. It starts out about 90s lesbian drug culture in San Francisco. (laughs) 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 But I kept seeing reviews about it that were really interesting. And so I just started reading, you know, to try it out. And I remember this moment. I even have it written down here so I could read it. It's the first sentence of chapter two where I was hooked. It says... That afternoon, Michelle woke up on her futon, craving a salt bagel and a walla, the inside of her mouth, an apocalypse, same as always. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> so, that is a fantastic line. It is. Yeah, and that's when you start realizing that the author and the main character have the same name. So you, ha- you have to kind of question all the way through, is this based on her life? 
Well, except for it can't be because it starts to become a post-apocalyptic or maybe a a during-apocalyptic novel. So the character of Michelle's life is a wreck. She's having drug issues, and she decides to move to uh, to Los Angeles from San Francisco and live with her brother. And the world is ending, and she decides to work at a bookstore. And the Scientologists at the center down the road are committing suicide. And I, I know it sounds like I'm laughing because it's funny somehow. I don't know. And... I don't even, I can't explain what is so good about the book, except for I never knew where it was headed. And I was just really willing to be taken wherever that was. I hadn't felt that way in a really long time about a book where I just couldn't stop reading and I was willing to go wherever the author was headed. And it made me laugh a lot too. And I just, I I think this is going to end up in all my lists for the year. I know I'm talking about it on my 100th episode that would have just posted before this and it'll probably be in my best books of the year. <laughs> oh my god. It I does, just think it's great. <laughs> it does sound amazing. And I find it interesting, like you said, the character and the author, like the protagonist and the author have the same first name. It reminded me of like oranges are not the only fruit. Uh-huh. Um and you know, you're constantly wondering, but I mean obviously since the end of the world, like <laughs> that takes a lot of that out. Right, but, like it can't be, but maybe it is. <laughs> Just a side note, like, I've never heard of feminist press somehow, like, the, the small indie press. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, I'm, after this, I'm just going to go research them to death. Like, Yes, they do fiction and nonfiction, and I believe they do poetry, too. I've oh. just read a few of their titles, but I've been pretty impressed. That is amazing. Are they, they're American publishing house? Uh-huh. Oh, this yeah. is, that, oh, this is the coolest thing. It's a sliced bread. Uh, and this book, I mean, it does, it just sounds amazing. I don't know. Like, it's sort of like she put a lot of cool things that are in books and like drew the names and stuff out of the hat, you know, and then wrote like this amazing book out of it. Well, and there's this part at the end where people start having psychic dreams about their alternative selves and some of it kind of bleeds into reality and it just, yeah, it just gets crazy. So, you know, like, you know how, like, black comedy, how, like, such horrible, over-the-top things happen to people? Is that yeah. kind of what you're talking about? There, Yeah, there's definitely this feeling of it. I mean, even the fact that she's working doesn't doesn't make sense because there's no reason to work. I mean, society <laughs> is just completely imploding. <laughs> Man, I love that the author just committed to this. Like, this is yeah. the way it's going to be, and I'm going to write this book. <laughs> I don't care if it's not plausible. <laughs> This actually sounds like a book that I would really like. I don't know. I've been on this uh, post-apocalyptic kick lately. I don't know why. I just have been. And I don't know where This one probably has more sex in it than most of them do. Well, <laughs> so if you don't, there we go. <laughs> if you don't come through, we'll just warning you. Duly <laughs> noted. Uh, it's funny, too, because I figured out later on that there was a lot of crazy stuff as far as apocalyptic kind of, you know, society imploding stuff happening in the San Francisco section, but I didn't notice it. And I think it's because when there's a novel that focuses on people that are addicted to drugs, you have this certain expectation for it and their world is always kind of falling apart. Mm. You know, it's usually inside their building or something, but I didn't realize that the actual world was actually falling apart. You know, that is actually a great metaphor. I mean, this sounds like one of those funny books that is actually quite genius. Everything that seems kind of crazy is actually there for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. Michelle T., I think, has written memoir otherwise. And so I'm interested in going back to that. Yeah, she sounds she sounds just really interesting. And I mean, she does have, like, the best name, too. Yeah. I just pulled up her Goodreads page because now I'm curious about what else she's written. She's written a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like there's like one, like at least 10 books on this list. But how do people like that escape our notice? <laughs> I don't, don't know. know. Really amazing. I don't know. I don't know. I, that's, actually, that's what I was doing while we were talking. I like pulled up the good trees. I was like, what's yeah. going on? And like, yeah, there's all kinds of things on here. There's just always new authors to discover. So this is, this is just really cool. And I don't know why I've never heard of her before. But well, highly recommended. Kendra, did you want to talk about your next one? Or your first one. Yes, my first one. So I am super excited because um, I read The Vegetarian last year and was 
so incredibly thrilled that I got my hands on Human Acts this year, which is her second book to be translated into English. She's written so many other books, but um, it wasn't until the last few years that Deborah Smith has translated her. And so um, I picked up Human Acts. And so this one is about a uprising in a city. It's not Seoul. It's... um. Uh, an out, an outlying town, and there was a ri- uprising in, I'm flipping through, okay, in 1980. And so it's, it's another, like, it's not exactly short stories put together, but it's like there's different sections, sort of like a David Mitchell does. And so you have, like, the boy who's kind of the, the son of this book, like, that the other characters revolve around, like planets. And so you have the boy and his story and how he is helping, um, after the uprising, a lot of students were killed by the government um, and so he is helping parents find them in this morgue. And so, um, he is there and his family's worried about him, but, you know, he's just working there and it's very introspective. And the entire book is about, um, has bought a lot of body soul, like body versus soul imagery because human acts, as it says in the title, is about what we do as humans and what makes us humans. Um, and so the entire, of course, since it's, you know, Deborah Smith translating Hong Kong, like it's the, the entire language is just gorgeous. And the imagery is all the way throughout. And um, I can't really tell you who else like narrates because that is a total spoiler. But um, <laughs> I mean, each narrator is related to the boy, um, the unnamed boy in the beginning. I think he's my, no, he doesn't have a name. Maybe. Anyway, I won't, I will spare you. But anyway, it's so, it's just so, so good. Um, and I'm pretty sure, like, the entire time I was reading it, I was texting Autumn, like, this book is amazing. Five minutes later, this book is still amazing. You were. <laughs> this happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Did you like The Vegetarian? I did. I, I yeah. really love The Vegetarian. And um, I've seen a lot of people who didn't like it because it's really intense. And, like, the men treat her, um, you know, the protagonist pretty horribly. But I thought it was, like, a kind of like a parable of, mm. you know, people trying to corrupt innocence in the way that men and even other women in a patriarchal culture treat other women. And <sighs> Yeah, I'll try to stop. Yeah, I just remember feeling surprised by this one because it just was so different from that. I, yeah. I was expecting more of the same and it was still very good, but there was none of that kind of psychological thriller it was more historical <laughs> yeah it was and i felt like it was more philosophical as well like it was looking mm-hmm. at the meaning of life basically <laughs> like what makes us human and um uh, i actually marked some spots to read i uh, tabbed this one up everywhere and it's underlined but i would have to say this is my favorite section of the book um and so uh, some people some two two men were taken prisoner is the context and so they're talking to to each other um they're struggling from PTSD and so they don't they're really struggling through that so it starts out um looking at that boy's life Jinsu said what is this thing we call a soul just a non-existent idea or something that well might as well not exist or no is it like a kind of glass glass is transparent right and fragile that's the fundamental nature of glass and that's why objects that are made of glass have to be handled with care. After all, if they end up smashed or cracked or chipped, then they're good for nothing, right? You just have to check them away. Before, we used to have a kind of glass that couldn't be broken. A truth so hard and clear, it might as well have been made of glass. So when you think about it, it was only when we were shattered that we proved we had souls, that what we really were were humans made of glass. That's so beautiful. Yeah. It, it is incredibly beautiful, and um, I really appreciated the way that Hong Kang illustrated that stuff done to the physical body can affect, affect your psyche. It can affect your soul, essentially, what she's saying. It can change you as a person. It's the whole idea, you know, you're like a soul inhabiting a body, and if you attack the body, then you're attacking your personhood. There are women um, who are narrate, and they talk about there is trigger warnings for sexual assault, like graphic descriptions. It's war, basically, essentially. Um and also just general violence. So just FYI for those of you who would like to avoid that or just be aware. But um, I thought it was just incredibly beautiful. I keep thinking, I, have, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I read it. And it's really short too. It's only like, what, 200 pages? So Every time I hear you talk about her, I just feel shame because I haven't read her yet. 
Oh, that can be a goal for the next year. Yeah, yes. I agree, Jenny. <laughs> I'm, I'm already making my list for 2018, so I'm not yeah. sure it's on my list for next year. But hey, you can do the thing, the great books of, you know, that we were talking about before we started recording about, you know, the great books of the previous year can be your TBR for the next year over the course. Anyway. <laughs> Adam's like, no more books, Kendra. Quit sending me books. <laughs> no, keep sending me books. I will read them eventually. <laughs> but if you oh, were going to recommend just one, which one would it be? Of Human Acts or The Vegetarian? I think for Autumn, I would recommend The Vegetarian because it deals with more themes around women specifically and how mm. a patriarchal society abuses women. It kind of reminded me of Little Deaths in that, like, uh, you, you want to throw it out the window because the people are treating the woman so badly, but it's not the author saying that. It's She's illustrating that. It's that kind of thing. But I actually prefer human acts if I had to pick. Don't tell the vegetarian I said that. But. <laughs> Your secret safe with us. Thank you. And the, and the rest of the world. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I thought it was just so beautiful the language which is so well done and yeah i can't wait to read um was it the book of white the white book whatever that's that's come out in the uk um, oh has it come out already yeah i haven't Thursday. heard yet yeah yeah and i'm like I, I need to check um hogarth's catalog to see if it's coming out this next year or i might just order it for christmas same translator uh yeah good she does an amazing job she does she's so phenomenal uh, did you see some of the criticism about that? I did. Um, we So interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it came up around Women in Translation Month in August, and we did a Q&A yeah. with Deborah. Like, oh, did you? Right during that time, and it was sort of like an accident. Like, we sent her the questions, and then all that scandal stuff happened about, like, how accurate the text is. Um, and so <laughs> it was just really an interesting situation, and um, she didn't address any of that in the Q&A. Because we, because in general we had had some, you know, questions about it. But um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I um, I think personally, like, there, you're gonna lose some stuff in translation. But as long as the author approves of what the translation is, then how accurate they want it to be, you know. Yeah. I always thought that that's why they changed the rules for the Man Booker International Prize, where half the money goes to the translator, because they're recognizing how much work that person's doing. Mm. You know, they're forming a new narrative. They're not just like taking this thing and mapping the words. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the you know the turns of phrase and some words don't even exist in English and different things. And I know I, I found it very interesting because there seem to be two camps, like. Well, we're fine if it's more like an interpretation or a paraphrase in some sections, as long as it, you know, it sounds good and it's a good story and the author approves of it. And other people are like, no, you want the exact like text, like word for word. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like no one's going to read it if it sounds boring. Okay. <laughs> like, no. Well, I mean, that's why there's like eight translations of War and Peace. <laughs> right. Well, this is something we actually talked about when we did books for women in translation month, because I had read. Oh, it was when I read The Big Green Tent. And you could tell in the writing that whatever Russian metaphors that they that the author was using didn't exist in English because it was kind of, you know, like you can tell when there's like one too many words in like a sentence or something like that. Like, yeah. I, And I was like, oh, this must be like a metaphor that we don't have in English. So the translator's doing their best to be true to whatever the author's trying to convey. I'm like, oh, that would be so hard. Yeah, when I read Snow by Orhan Pamuk, I enjoyed yeah. it from the story perspective. And then I was taking Turkish lessons, and the one of the people there was telling me how that novel is just this huge metaphor, and the word for snow means all these other things, and there's no possible way that could have been translated. But I felt like I'd really missed something. <laughs> yeah. But... Yeah, I think, I think it's so interesting, like how language is with each different language. Like it, some, essentially the original text or work on as a whole is not translatable. Like you can't, right. you can like try and you can do your best, but ultimately because it's, you know, a different language with a different like history and different things and metaphors and so on and so forth, yeah. like you, you will never experience the original without reading the original language, you know? But as long as they keep trying, I will keep reading. Yep. <laughs> the <Same>. translations. 
<laughs> Especially Deborah Smith. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I she has her own she has um her own like publishing house where she publishes, you know, translated works from um like unknown countries, places, whatever. And she doesn't do all the translating. Um in fact I don't think she does most of the translating, but like that I really want to get my hands on those. That is Tilted Access oh, yeah. Press. Ooh. And you go in book depository. Find them. That's a good twenty eighteen thing too. Yeah. Definitely. I hadn't heard of that, so thank you. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the ones was um, that was pres- published by Grey Wolf. What was that, Autumn? The one we talked about by Han Yuju? It has the beautiful pink cover with the green in it and the pen on the front. It's going to bother me. Oh, um, uh, uh, uh. I know. I see the cover. I know. I don't see the name. Fairy tale. Thank fairy you. Fairy tale. The, the um, impossible fairy tale. There we yes. go. That one. We would get there eventually. <laughs> anyway, that's one of the ones from the press. It's just in the U.S. It's published by Grey Wolf. So um, I did read that, and um, it was very interesting because it was more experimental than um, Hong Kang is. It's published as well from Korean. I've translated from Korean. So so I could gush about Hong Kang forever, but um, I will I will spare everyone and uh, let Autumn talk about her next pick because <laughs> we could just keep going. My next pick is Difficult Women by Roxane Gay, and it's published by Grove Atlantic. And I actually just finished this book yesterday, so it's still very fresh in my mind. But it is actually a short story collection about difficult women. That very broadly, but it's so it's like most. I think all of the stories actually have female protagonists. Actually, I think I didn't keep count, but it's like all the ways in which women are perceived as being difficult or problematic, and kind of. I don't know. I guess she's just kind of exploring that and what that means. And I mean, Roxanne is just a beautiful writer. And like each of the stories, I was really almost surprised. Like they were kind of different genres and like some of them were more futuristic and some of them were set in real time. And some of them seemed uh, autobiographical in nature. I also just finished hunger. So that's kind of what made me think of that, but I loved it. Like, I think I read it in three days. Yeah. Yeah, I love the range she showed in that collection. Yeah, it's just, and like some of the books, like, or some of the books, some of the stories I didn't like as well as others, but I think that's just the nature of short stories. But one of the quotes I wanted to read, just to kind of show the difficult women theme, is in one of the stories, there's this, this two sentences where it says, Dawn is always breathing down Hannah's neck bumping up against her in the cramped space behind the bar, telling her that he'd make her damn happy if she'd leave her old man. When she does that, when he does that, Hannah closes her eyes and breathes easy because she needs her job. And I felt like that kind of set the tone for the whole collection. And I was thinking about it in relation to like all the stories that have been in the news lately about, well, why don't these women come forward or why don't, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, Mm in this in this whole collection it seems like a lot of times it's for self preservation ultimately all the women are like from different backgrounds and in different scenarios and like different social classes and different races and like all different kinds of things and just kind of but they're all unified by this theme of like society thinks they're difficult in one way or another yeah it was it was a great collection i never read her fiction before and um i was just really impressed like she just did a I mean, sometimes I read a short story collection, I really love it, but all of the books are around the same theme to the extent that they all sound somewhat similar, but hers are just so, as Autumn said, are just so many different genres, and I was just so impressed with, you know, she says on Twitter, like, good writing happens in every genre, and I think that she really pushes that in this collection as well. I actually read this one in just a few days because she was speaking at a conference I was going to, and I had just gotten it from, you know, an order. And she read the story about the yogurt and the open marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it was so yes. funny. And she's such a good reader of her own work that I think that ended up being my favorite one. <laughs> That's what I told Kendra yesterday. I just told her that yesterday. I said, yeah. you know what? I said, I think <laughs> open did. marriage is my favorite story. And she was like, why? And I was like, because like, she does so much in two pages. Like that's the thing that blows my mind is it's like, like one page, one page and she's done. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like this is it's amazing. incredible. 
is so incredible. Oh man. Um, that's another thing too, is like some of them are really long, like almost novella, like pushing novella length in a way I felt like. And then some of them are like really short, but they're all the same caliber of writing, which is really impressive. Mm. It's a lot of stamina. I mean, I know they're written at like different times and published other places and different things, but I mean, just to be able to put a collection together that was that consistent and being aware of what order they were in and different things. Yeah. She's really good. I can't wait till her novel comes out whenever that is. Is that, is that next year or the year after? I think it's next year. Well, and I know she has one previous one, right? But I haven't read it. I've just read the stories and the essays and the memoir. Yeah. Because the Untamed State I told, I've read that has like, um, you know, trigger warnings for gang rape. And so I was like, I'm not sure I want mm-hmm. to just jump in with, you know, like at first with that. So I think I might try it now that I've read some of her stuff. And so I'm kind of more familiar with it, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but I did read her memoir. And so, I mean, obviously we can tell, you know, where. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And maybe understanding that helps it go down a little easier. I didn't know. I don't think that part of the story when I read difficult women and even some of those, I had wished that I didn't need to finish it, you know, cause I kind of had a deadline mm. so that I could have taken more breaks in between the stories. Yeah. But, and I think uh, I read, actually read hunger first and then read difficult women. And I uh, think it, I think it was helpful to have read uh-huh. hunger first because then, like you said, I was able to be, see, okay, this is why this is in here or this is why this theme keeps coming up. Yeah. It's very good though. Yeah. And I thought too, like another one of my favorite ones was, and I don't have, I don't have it in front of me, but the one about, I gave you your book back, Kendra. This is, this is what, why this happened. <laughs> um, the one about the guy who's the minor who flies his plane into the sun. Yes. Okay, that was, was my favorite. It was probably my second favorite. <laughs> Oh, well, I guess that's acceptable. <laughs> Fine. Um, I'll still be friends with you. I also thought that that one was really good, too, <laughs> because it's it's set in kind of an alternate... I guess it technically it's an alternate universe or like a post-apocalypse. I don't know. It was different. But the way she unfolded that story, I thought, was so beautiful. And just kind of how... So, like, the high, the high level is, like, there's this man who works in a mine, and he gets so tired of working underground... And he's so cold from working underground that he decided he buys a plane and flies it into the sun and then the sun disappears. And so (laughs) I know it's crazy, (laughs) but it was so, I thought it was like really beautiful. And I think it showed to the power of public opinion, which is something that I think all people struggle with. I think she gets a lot of criticism from the public and just the way I don't know. Like the ending was just really beautiful to me, like how she ended it. And I won't give it away, but I just loved that story too. Yeah. It's just so different from open marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you need a little bit of triumph in there, I think for all the difficult situations. Yeah. Yeah. And that is probably one of the most optimistic stories of the whole collection. Mm-hmm. I think that's all I had to say about that one, which isn't too much, but. Okay. So, uh, this is the one that I put in at the last minute and it is called Juventude by Vanessa Blakesley and it's from Curbside Splendor, I think 2015 or so. That is the Spanish word for youth. And I actually had never heard of Curbside Splendor before until I took a personality test on Book Riot that matched you up with an indie press. <laughs> Oh my I gosh. I didn't know this well, existed. And, you know, <laughs> I work like in an me. academic library, so I have access to interlibrary loans. So I went to the curbside splendor page and I just requested novels and nonfiction and poetry. And so I've been working my way through the pile of books that came in for me in my half crazed, you know, request spree, which was crazy. <laughs> um, but this is probably going to be my favorite one. I'm going to say it now. And I'm really happy I get to talk about it today because I didn't end up talking about it on any of my episodes for Reading Envy and just kind of ran out of episodes for the year. And I was worried I would not really be able to talk about it in a few months. So it's about this teenager, Mercedes, and she lives in Colombia, the country. And it's in like the late 1980s, early 1990s. Um, She lives a life of privilege. Her father is a wealthy landowner. 
and her mother is gone. Uh, her mother was an American and she abandoned them and moved back to America. And she lives in a time where there's a lot of conflict and a lot of violence. There are a lot of people inside the country called the Despasado. Desplas- I should have looked that up, but I didn't. It's the displaced people, but they're not considered refugees until they leave the border. Um, so it's people that have had to leave their towns because of fighting and they're looking for work. They're looking for places to stay. So a lot of them end up um, on her father's property asking for jobs and food and that kind of thing. So she gets driven around everywhere to make her safe. And there are people getting kidnapped from ransoms a lot. And her father is making plans to send her to the States and she doesn't want to go because she's fallen in love with Manuel, who's a revolutionary she finds out a lot about the history of what's been going on through this relationship with Manuel because she's in a private school. She's very protected, but she's protected to the extent where she's really, really naive. She doesn't understand the context of anything. She doesn't understand that her father is probably a drug lord or works for a drug lord. And she doesn't understand that he's not really a good person, even though all she sees is him being kind and and taking care of his employees, you know, except for the ones that disappear. (laughs) So there's this kind of, you know, sense of um, danger underlying everything. But really the story is so focused on this girl and how she's growing up. And it just feels very realistic about how teenagers, their drama is the most important thing to them. And Mm. there's all these other things that happen and swirl around them. But unless it's unless it starts to bleed in, it really doesn't affect them. They don't really understand it and they don't understand the sacrifices that have been made for them. And so the majority of the novel is just kind of a coming of age story, which I really liked because, you know, how some novels feel like they're almost, I don't know, selling out a crisis and to, or like to push it into a story. But, but here it's really mostly about just her life. And then near the end, she does move to America and she comes back 15 years later to try to understand some of the things that have happened. And so you get this really nice kind of wrap up. You, uh, you understand some things that she didn't understand. And because she didn't understand them, you as the reader never understood them either, not completely. And I just really thought it was an effective way of telling a story. I usually, you know, I've been trying to read a book from every country. I think I'm on my sixth year. I'm never going to finish. <laughs> but most of the time when I read them, I, I try to find books that are written by people who live in those countries and then are translated. This one isn't like that. It's just someone who did really good research, but I felt like the research was really in-depth and she had a really good understanding of all the forces at work. So I have to really commend her for that. I think this is her first novel. Well, I was just going to ask, is it technically a YA book or is it just a story about a young adult? Yeah, no, it's not pitched that way at all. Okay. I I think it'd probably be fine for YAs to read, you know, but it's, there's enough of the context there. It's not just like a love story. (laughs) Right. I mean, honestly, it's hard to tell just because on the publisher page, they don't have like a YA section. Mm -hmm. So it's not really pitched that way. But it sounds great, and I've never heard of Curbside Splendor either, so I'm just I'm just going to have to go check out all of these presses that you're mentioning because I'm just learning about all different ones. And I know, and there's so many great ones out there, and I feel like they're really coming into their own in these past few years because, like, with Instagram and mm-hmm. everything, I think we're we're able to to see what they're doing a lot more easily, and I love it. Yeah, I think the Booktornet is is just so great for indie presses because they can cheaply promote their books because you know if you find like personality that's willing to work with you then you can send them their books and then they can talk about them so i think it's just so great to see i discovered unnamed press that way through a lot of different booktubers talking about it and i was like well then just send me send me (laughs) and then some of them are doing subscriptions and there's all these really interesting ways that you can see more of what they do i just love it yeah i think since i in the last year i've become more connected with what do you call it kinder the book turnit Book turnit. Book the book turnit. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not that connected. But (laughs) I feel like in the past year, I have gotten so many good reads from indie presses and kind of books that haven't been as widely published. 
and I'm just so glad that through through the internet and through other readers that we can find books like this now. Me too. Although it makes my to read list. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I will live forever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think my TBR is going to break 2000 a good reason this year. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really believe in TBR. I consider it more of a database. (laughs) So just FYI. (laughs) Man. Well, Kendra, did you want to talk about your next book? Yes. Um, I am really excited to talk about this book because I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it. Um, and that is himself by Jess Kidd. And this is out from Atria Books. Um, Jess Kidd did a PhD in creative writing and her uh, thesis was about, um, doing, uh, genre melding and genres of crime fiction. Um, and she does crime fiction and supernatural fiction together. Um, now there's a big part of this book that I'm not going to talk about because that's a huge spoiler. And I, it's, it's like in all the blurbs when people talk about it. So just know guys, if I'm vague, that's why, but this book starts out in, what is it? The 1960s, I think, um, in, uh, hold on, it's going to bother me. Sorry. Um, right. So it starts around, I think it was like 1960s, 1970s and a guy named Mahoney is going from uh, Dublin to a little town called Mulderig, and he is trying to find his mother. He was abandoned and uh, found himself in this, but then someone showed up and gave him a p- picture of he and his mother and like stuff written on the back, and so he's off to find his mom and why, what happened with it and everything like that. And so he knows his mom was a teenager when he was born, but he doesn't really know who his dad is or really anything about it. So he walks into town and... Um, he is trying to figure this out. So he quickly discovers this old lady living in like this boarding house. And she is one of the most hilarious characters you will ever meet. She is kind of like a retired um, actress kind of theater person. And so she runs the like theater stuff for the tiny town. And so they're doing, uh, so every year they do like this big play and different things. And so he's trying to find who his, um, his mom is. Um, there's a big plot twist in the first few pages, which is interesting. But like, if I tell you what that plot twist is, that would be super spoilery. <laughs> so just know that she's combining crime fiction and supernatural fiction. Um, so, uh, that should be self-explanatory, but I really love this book because I really love when, uh, writers just throw out this whole idea of like strict genres and just do their thing and they make a beautiful story and I didn't know how it would end but I really just enjoyed following along the story for the story's sake and I love the characters and setting and um, it was one of the most delightful reads ever and her writing is gorgeous she has this way of describing things in such a vivid way it is it's like one of those like thrillery twistery like m night shaman's things like where you don't know the big secret of like you know that the like the village you know where they're living in the middle of something or whatever you know what i'm saying so that's what that is what part of what makes this this book so amazing but i feel even and it's such an integral part of the story and like uh, mahoney is like this like rake type character and you kind of love him hate him and like all the women are so fascinated and there's this one point where it's describing mahoney and it says mahoney is just so attractive incredibly suave and and um it's like everything these women's husbands were not (laughs) and just like the the tone of her narration is just beautiful. So I I just really love her. And she has a new book coming out this next year. So sign me up. How did you describe this book to me when you first told me about it? Um, it was if you and I wrote a book together, it would be this book. <laughs> <laughs> because Autumn loves crime and I love supernatural fantasy stuff. There's like this priest character um in the book and He's kind of like the antagonist, sort of, kind of, not really. Um, but he wants to shut down the play that Mahoney and the old lady are doing, um, because they're trying to use that to like scatter the roaches, so to speak, to try to find out like who his dad is and what happened to his mom and stuff like that. And he's trying to shut this down. So like this dude like shows up all the time. And uh, I really just, I just loved him because he was just like Mr. Collins showing up, <laughs> trying to shut down this play. And, um, yeah, the characters are great. Definitely highly recommend. I think that's it for himself. So I think, Autumn, you have the next one. So I just realized that two of the books that I picked were short story collections. Um, but no one is surprised because I do love short <laughs> stories. Um, this actually happens to me a lot. Um, so my last pick is 
a manual for cleaning women by Lucia Berlin. And I'd heard about this book on NPR like a long time ago. And by a long time ago, I mean probably like two or three years ago. And so I read it this year for the first time and I was just blown away um, by her stories. A lot of them are autobiographical. So Lucia Berlin, she, she was, so she lived in the Midwest and so like she spoke or she lived in the West. And so like she spoke Spanish and like, she, you know, was pretty well-rounded. She didn't start writing until she was older, like until after she had kids and she struggled with alcoholism and different things like that, which makes its way into her stories so it's it's described as being autofiction, like so like kind of about herself, but kind of not really. Like there are a couple stories about a woman which is totally she's pulling from her own life. And um the title story was actually one of my favorites, and it is called A Manual for Cleaning Women. But the thing that was the most fascinating thing to me about this story in particular is that it is divided by bus stops, which I think is really cool. So it's like following this cleaning, these different cleaning women as they go through their days and like the different houses that they clean in and the different people that they encounter and like different kinds of discrimination and whatever. And Lucia was actually a cleaning woman for a while. And so they're just like, I thought that that was a really cool way to to structure this particular short story. And each story is like really unique too. Like some of them are really long and some of them are really short. And some of them, like I said, are more autobiographical and some of them are not. They're all like really inventive too. And I just, I just loved it. Yeah. This one's been on my TBR for a while and I've checked it out with the library so many times. And I think it's one that I just want to, like read, read rather than listen to. And I just, I just need to find the time. I guess that's going to be on my 2018 reading list. Yeah. I've heard a lot about it too, but I, I don't, I just haven't ever gotten over that hump, you know? So it sounds really good. It is good. And I know I'm not doing it justice, but there's literally like 30 plus short stories in here. So it's like um, really hard to kind of summarize 30 stories in a very short amount of time. There's another story called, point of view. I'm just going to read like the first paragraph. So it starts out, it says, imagine Chekhov's story, grief in the first person, an old man telling us his son has just died. We would feel embarrassed, uncomfortable, even bored, reacting precisely as the cabman's fares in the story did. But Chekhov's impartial voice imbues the man with dignity. We absorb the author's compassion for him and are deeply moved, if not by the son's death, by the old man talking to his horse. So that's the opening paragraph. But the the really cool thing about it is like, as we're reading, the point of view shifts. And I'm not going to say how, because I don't really want to give it away. But it's like this really weird thing where like, I'm reading the story and I get to the end and I'm like, hold it. Who's talking? Because she does it so subtly and so beautifully, like how she like shifts the point of view to where it's the same thing. And like, by the end, you're looking at it from a completely different perspective that I had to go back and read it again because it was just so good. Um, yeah, she's just, I don't know. Like, I just think that she's a really brilliant writer. I think I've been gushing about this book for months now, but it's another thing, which I, I always find it interesting too, when authors start writing later in life, because like I said, I think she was not, didn't start like writing seriously until she was, I want to say in her thirties, especially I feel like, and I don't know if you all feel this way, but I feel like debut authors are getting younger and younger and younger. Um, (laughs) yeah. And so I feel like for her to have started writing so late in life, I think her stories have a level of experience that other stuff I've read hasn't had. Mm. It has a gorgeous cover as well. 
it's really pretty like but i really i mean and i guess like to talk about short stories a little bit i don't know why i'm so drawn to them but it's like a thing i've discovered about myself where like i'm really drawn <laughs> to short stories um it was it's an accident um but i think it like allows you know unlike a novel which is like this whole sustained sort of thing that you work through i feel like i learn a lot about the author themselves like the author herself or himself through reading their short stories. Um, Cause they almost seem to, well, at least in the short stories that I read seem to be really informed by their actual lives. It's like you're going to all their corners of their brain or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think Autumn though, one of the big things I think from the short stories is that, you know, you're a huge Flannery fan. And one of the first projects you did at true. was read all of her short stories from cover to cover. And so I don't know. You've always, I think, since then been drawn to them. I think so, too. I picked up a short story collection in Athens, Georgia, a couple weeks ago, and it's by Soft Skull Press, which is a press that I hadn't heard of before, Mm -hmm. um, called Turf, and it's written by Elizabeth Crane. I'm trying to, I do really like short stories. Like I said, I really enjoyed Lucia Berlin and 30 short stories in a very short amount of time, but I will say that, like, take your time in reading it. Cause they're all like really kind of, she just packs so much into so little. And I think that's another reason why I like short stories. So, which I guess then it's time Jenny for your last pick. Okay. I'm going to talk about a book called Eve out of her ruins by Ananda Devi. It's translated by Jeffrey Zuckerman from deep vellum publishing. And this came out just this last year, so 2016. So I think I read this one because it is set somewhere I hadn't read a book from, and it is from a small press. So, you know, double whammy. (laughs) And so it's set on the island of Mauritius, which is a tiny island to the east of Madagascar, which is an island to the east of the mainland of Africa. So (laughs) way out in the ocean. And Mauritius is a very popular place for very rich tourists, but there's also this kind of shadow group of people that live there and work there and are in very deep poverty. And so the book focuses on four youth that live there, and Eve is the central character, but the other three are all connected to her in some way. And they all have different lives, although they all have to struggle with the same level of poverty. And it's a very short book. It's about 150 pages, if I remember right. But I read it very slowly because the language is very beautiful. I'm sure that was there in the original, but I think the translator did an amazing job too. And you feel the loneliness of what poverty does to a person and how isolating it can be. Instead of making you part of a community, if you're focusing all your energy on surviving, just surviving, um, that's a very isolating thing. And it, the language, I think, matches that somehow. <laughs> I've been trying mm-hmm. to figure out a way to explain it because I've been thinking about this book all year, ever since I read it. And I've had some people that I recommended it to that really loved it like I did. And then some people I recommended it to couldn't finish it because it's so depressing and dark. I kind of like that. I think I, because I think that's, it's true to how people live sometimes. And I guess I kind of felt like as a reader, I could kind of bear witness to it or something. It kind of felt like that's what my job was not to fix it, but just to acknowledge that it was true even though it's fiction, <laughs> there, there feels like a lot of truth in this novel. Really, it's stuck with me. I think I read this in February or something like that. It sounds really beautiful. And I mean, I've never read a book in that, that location either. I mean, I didn't even know it existed, right? So yeah, it sounds amazing. And I really love how what you said, like, that was really, you had to slow down to read it because of the language and that, I mean, the fact that the translator was able to capture that feeling. And I think we were talking to Heather O'Neill about the Lonely Hearts Hotel, which a lot of themes are on loneliness. So that's what I immediately thought of when you were talking about how, you know, she captured, you know, the book captures the feeling of loneliness and mm-hmm. how isolating and lonely poverty is. And um, I definitely, there are more, should be more books about that. Another book from my TBR. <laughs> yeah, because I think when we talk about poverty, especially in narratives from this country, we focus on the people that have worked their way out of it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I just don't think that that way out exists for everyone in every place. And so then what? What does right. your life look like? And I think that's kind of what it's about. Yeah. And I think 
looking at it also from, you know, being set in a different country, it just broadens your worldview of what poverty, poverty looks like all over the world. Yeah. So, yeah, that just sounds like, just sounds perfect. It really does. When we were talking about the Lonely Hearts Hotel, Kendra and I were talking about how I feel like there's a lot of books about lonely people, but not necessarily a lot of books about loneliness mm. and kind of like what it's like to live in that space. But I actually met someone from Mauritius one. Th- you just say Mauritius, right? Uh-huh. Okay. I met someone from there one time. Um, didn't even... Which and I, it's so funny. Like, there's all these countries. I think your project to like read books from different countries is a really cool project because I think there's all these different places that we just don't even think about. Um, yeah. Because bigger countries take all the limelight, but that's really cool. So, Kendra, last book. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you read the last book. Okay, so um, I don't have a physical copy in front of me, but I read earlier this year. I read This Must Be the Place by Maggie O'Farrell. It's out from Knopf. It came out in 2016. And apparently everyone else besides me already knew about Maggie O'Farrell. And they're like, oh, you're reading Maggie O'Farrell. That's great. You know, like, oh, okay. Apparently I have missed this somehow. But she is absolutely fantastic. Um, so this book is really hard to describe. So I'm, I'm going to give it a go, though. So you have Daniel, who's an American. Um, uh, and he's married to Claudette, who is like a, like a, French half, like a French English woman who, um, is, I'm trying not to give spoilers. Uh, so, uh, so he's married to Claudette and they live with their kids in very rural Ireland. Um, and so he starts out the book and then, you know, they're just driving, you know, down the road and whatever. And then shortly you find that his dad has died and he goes back to the U S one of the reasons why it's very hard to describe this book because it's nonlinear and it's multi-perspective and you very rarely repeat perspectives. I think you only actually repeat Daniel's, maybe his wife's, but you learn about his family, his mom, his dad, uh, Claudette, uh, their kids, um, his kids from his first marriage, and just what their lives were like. And since it's nonlinear, a lot of people have been frustrated with it because it's not like an upfront story. You kind of have to collect clues. And I think of him as like the middle and then you kind of get snapshots around him, the people who are in his life and who've come in and out of his life. Um, but you don't get it in a linear fashion, as I said. So you kind of have to put the puzzle together and just wait for it to fall in, you know, if you're, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I love how she made you be an active participant as a reader. You can't just passively like follow, follow, you know, flow along with the plot. You have to think about the book as you're reading it and then place the things as you go along. And I just really loved you know, what she did with that and all of the different topics and things that she covered. Um, she did, I think, you know, might have taken on a bit much, but I just love the way the story unfolded and how it's like, what, what is it? Like almost 500 pages, <laughs> but yeah, but I didn't think it was that long because I was just so fascinated with his life and his wife's life and how they came to be together. And they both have, you know, past histories with past partners and, um, why they left them and um yeah it's it's great it's like sort of like david mitchell if david mitchell wasn't so fascinated with structuring his little parts in different ways (laughs) (laughs) it's like i know she did them in a particular like order on purpose but it's almost like she just dropped them and you have to really think about why she chose which part went where you know so do you think this is similar to her other work because i've never read maggie o'farrell either i don't think I've heard of her. Well, I won't, this is the first book of hers that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently she's way more popular in the UK than she is in the United States. Which is probably why ah, okay. I haven't heard of her. And I actually heard about her from a lot of UK booktubers who are reading her. And so she has another book coming out um, that's actually, I think, already out in the UK. But it's coming out in the US this coming January, February. It's like her memoir, um, I Am, I Am, I Am. It's about like her brushes with death or something. Hmm. Um but she did The Vanishing Act of Annie Lennox, I think. Um, but I, I'm not, I don't think those are as multi-perspective, but I could to- be totally wrong because I haven't, I haven't read them. But they are definitely high up on my list of books to read. I have um, The Vanishing Act on audio waiting for me. Um, so, and, and then another one's on, on Playster. So I have those queued up for, um, I think, winter break. But I also have like <laughs> 50 other books that queued up for winter break. So... <laughs> 
we'll find out. But I love Maggie O'Farrell. And I, if you love David Mitchell and you really are into those nonlinear, multi-perspective type books, you will love her. Um, but if you're tending to be frustrated by those, this may not be as much your thing. But I think she's worth the effort. And she's, it's just gorgeous. Like, uh. I do like David Mitchell. Me too. Yeah. This sounds great to me. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see what you guys think about it. But yeah, that's that's the last book, though. Wow. <laughs> I know. We have a lot of great reads. And I have a lot of amazing publishers I want to I know. Up. I know. Me too. I feel distracted all of a sudden because I'm like, have this itch to like go research books now. <laughs> it's the Google itch. <laughs> oh, before we go, we should talk about what we're currently reading so we can find more books. Sure. I'm excited to see what you guys are reading. So I guess I'll go first. And so I am currently reading The Idiot by Elif Bachaman. A lot of people have been talking about this book for a while, I feel like, and I'm just really late to the game on it. But I recently saw her at the Decatur Book Festival, which just kind of, like, it was, I felt ambivalent about this book until I heard her talk about it. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I have to read this book. Um, it was an immediate sensation. She, like, grabbed the book out of my hand and was like, this is mine. You're leaving this here in Atlanta with me. <laughs> Yeah, that's what happened. Um, but so she, she's from Turkey, I believe. Isn't it Turkey? Yeah. That's yeah. True. So she, but uh, she studied Russian literature in school. So this book is kind of about Russian literature and kind of about being in school and kind of about like all these different kinds of things. Have you, who, have either of y'all read it? Yeah, I listened to the it. audio. Okay. Oh, how how is the audio? Well, she reads it, and oh, so oh if you liked her speaking voice, you know how she kind of has this dry humor. Yes, um, it's totally it's it's yeah. in the book. And uh, for me, I think I'm a little bit older than you guys, and so she the like the first half of the novel is just all about being awkward in college in your first year and <laughs> learning about the internet basically. And that was totally my experience too. Cause I started college in 96. And so I was in the first dorm on my campus that had ethernet. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, I just had so much resonance, especially with the first half that I really enjoyed it. Oh, maybe her should... writing style is, it's just like, it's a, it's like, she just, it's basically if you hear her speak like in a, in a talk, that's how she writes. Like that's her voice right there. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I feel really late to the game, but I'm really excited to get into it and read it. But now, like, I'm wondering if maybe I should do the audiobook instead, since she reads it. I love it when authors read their own work. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't place her. <laughs> um, so okay. I love the story about the cover too. Oh, tell the story because I don't know it. Oh, so she was, um, it, it, if you don't know, if you can't see it, everyone who's listening to this, it's a pink, it's like millennial pink cover with just a rock on it. And it says the idiot, right? And it's like, okay. And so she said that she had this idea of this girl with a rock for her head. And so she sent that idea to them, but she's like, whatever. And so they sent her back this thing, this millennial pink cover with the rock. And she's like, I don't know about the color, you know, whatever. So they sent her a bunch of different ones. She's like, actually, you know, I like the first one. And they're like, yeah, we know this is our job. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did that to Autumn recently. And I was like, I know I'm <laughs> Ellen Bottomman. I was like, just don't hate me, please. <laughs> oh, she's just so delightful. Well, so, um, the book that I'm, I've started already uh, is Purple Hibiscus by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And I have read more recent books by her, like Americana and We Should All Be Feminists. I guess it's just really a speech, but I had never gone back and read her earlier novels. And then this one showed up as one of the book swaps that I participate in. So I basically had to read it, but I'm really enjoying it so far. I think it's her first. Yeah, it is. It, was it the one that won the Baileys of Baileys, or was that a different one of hers? No, I think that was Americana. Okay. Am I wrong? I mm, I guess I don't know for sure. Because there's is half of a yellow sun of, that's in yeah, the middle there, say. too. Well, they're, I mean, she's always amazing. So, I mean, there's an excuse to read all of them. So, like. Yeah, and this one's more of, like, about a girl and her father. And I, I think she was probably younger when she wrote it, too. Well, that sounds great. She's, I mean, she's one of those authors I want to read the entire backlist. Oh, know? yeah. And there, I guess there's really not that much of it. So I've been yeah. kind of pacing it out. There's so many great novelists from Nigeria that I was like, but I've already read two. Maybe I should read some others, but she's the best. <laughs> yeah, she is. Here's, I mean, it's like, yeah, 
I was thinking the other day about how many Nigerian writers I'd read this year, and I think, well, I think it was like three, which I mean, you know, for normally it's like the UK and, you know, America. So um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, always room for more, obviously. Um, so I guess the one I'm reading is An American Marriage by Terry Jones, and this is actually coming out in February. Um, but I got a arc from Algonquin, and I'd never read terry jones but i saw that part of it was set in atlanta and i was like oh i bet autumn will like <laughs> you know i'll read it and then i'll send it along that way and so i wanted to get a head start on it so uh, but it is about a marriage and it's about um this woman who and this woman in the sky you know they're african-american couple they get married and stuff is going really well and then they're in this hotel one night and he helps this woman at the ice machine and they say goodnight. And he says, Hey, you know, your, your door sticks and like it doesn't lock. So you should probably be careful about that. So then they see that and then he goes back to bed and all of a sudden in the middle of the night, this like, uh, police people like, you know, bang down the door and they like, or, you know, they handcuff both of them and it's just a really humiliating experience. And then they arrest him for the, um, assault of this woman that he met near the ice machine. He's like, I didn't do it. And his wife is like, no, like we were having a romantic evening all night. Like he was not there. <laughs> um, but he gets convicted of this crime and he's in prison. And, um, so she has, she has a decision. Is she going to wait for him or not? And that's basically what the entire book is about. And I, was just going to read a few pages and then I ended up like reading until like 3 a.m. <laughs> it was, it was like 90 pages and I'm like, Oh, okay. And one of the reasons is because, um, after you find out that he's in prison, which is like the very beginning, uh, it's told in letters. His entire prison stay is told in letters. Ooh. Um, so, and then it switches back once he's out, it switches back to the novel form. And I was like, that's really cool because you can only read letters in prison, you know, oftentimes. So, that's a primary mode of communication. It's, it's, that's, it was just really compelling. Um, and to look at mass incarceration and race and different things and how, um, a lot of times, you know, people just believe, you know, the white person automatically over even an eyewitness that says like, no, he was in bed, like, you know, the entire night. So, um, yeah, it's really compelling so far again, about 90, 100 pages in, um, that's really promising. Such a good sign when you have to stay up to read it. <laughs> I know that happens to me, and like, and sometimes I'll just read the whole thing, and I'll text Autumn at like four a.m. in the morning, and be like, "So I'm gonna be a little late getting back to you on these because <laughs> uh, I just finished this book." But I just finished this book, so we could talk about it later on the podcast. But I'm not night owl anyway. But it's yeah, always a good sign. That's the end of this special bonus show. Thank you all so much for listening. And you can find The Reading Woman at thereadingwomenpodcast.com. And you can find me, Autumn Privet, at Autumn Privet, lots of different places. <laughs> and you can find Kendra at KD Winchester everywhere as well. And you can find me, Jenny Colvin, from Reading Envy on Instagram. And let's see, at Reading Envy. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>